If you look at monstrous stats against the Dragons at the weekend, the one thing that jumped, really jumped out at me is 241 passes. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. The Six Nations Show on OTB Sports Radio. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team, we all belong to the team of us. It's spinning! It's spinning! Can you come on and talk about Ireland's attack shape? It's really exciting. Go on, Ireland! I've never seen a team like Ireland before. We all still think to this day that it's the right call and we're the ones out on the pitch. OTB Sports Radio. Yeah, and you're very welcome along to this St. Patrick's Day edition of the Six Nations show as we preview the crescendo of the 2022 Championship. Delighted to be joined in studio by the Irish Independents, Rory O'Connor. Rory, thanks for braving the elements, the parade and the revellers and all that kind of stuff. The elements are fine. It's uh, fairly hairy out there, though. Didn't have a short, I only had a short commute to come, but it was uh, different than normal town of Bedlam out there. So I think this is the calmest place in Dublin right now. So. I think it's still the best case scenario compared to the last couple of St. Patrick's Definitely, days. absolutely. No, it's nice to see it. It's just, it's a bit of a shock to the system, but good preparation for Saturday, I guess. Hopefully there'll be plenty out and about on Saturday as well for the, for the big game. Absolutely. And there once was a time where beating England by a record margin in Twickenham would lead to a parade of similar proportions, maybe, but... The reaction has been interesting in its way that almost from the jump there's been certain people, Eddie O'Sullivan most notably, but several people, almost 50% I would say, falling down on the side of, you know, there's possibly more shortcomings from that performance than you might typically take from a, a winning victory like that. No, almost a week on, where do you fall down on it? Yeah, I like... I think that everything's contextualised by the fact that England had a man sent off after eight, less than 90 seconds and you would expect Ireland to manage... like. What I would look at is what put your put yourself in the shoes of, of say New Zealand or South Africa and the company Ireland want to keep in World Rugby. What would they have done against England for for uh, seventy eight and a half minutes against fourteen men? You would expect them to handle it better, to not have a scrum go into complete meltdown against seven forwards and a back, to not lose their way and have senior players giving away penalties along the way. And, and Ireland have reached a point now where we expect certain things of them. We, we, you know, they've had a very good November. They've had quite a good Six Nations without maybe getting to that height. height. Um, but they are one of the top teams in the world, and I, I would say that the way they handled certain elements of that game were were not impressive. And yet they came up. They came good. They rested momentum back, so they deserve a claim for that. Um, but it's I think it's a, it, it's a mark of how highly we regard this Ireland team that we weren't as impressed with that win as, as we as we might have been in other eras but the 14 men is a big deal you mm. can't take it out I know people you know can point to examples of teams coping well with 14 men in different scenarios Ireland and South Africa when they won for the first time in, in, in Cape Town when CJ Stanley sent off but like, that was the earliest red card in Six Nations history um, it was a long time to be playing against 14 men and there was just massive fault lines exposed particularly in the scrum I do think that it was different there was a feeling leaving the stadium as well or feeling within the stadium that really I think it did come across on TV to some degree but there was a panic about Ireland Mm. halfway through that second half now they got over it and that's really really impressive but when you're leaving Twickenham with a record win and you also have so much to work on it's a positive thing the only issue being with that scrum in particular is is there an obvious fix to it and is there a personnel fix to it if Andrew Porter's not there and I'm not sure there is so that's what it was based on Um, like it's great to win in Twickenham um, by that much and to come away with so much to work on but you can't paper over the, the cracks that are there either so I think that's why Saturday is really interesting to see because I think Scotland have a good scrum and will it, you know they won't test Ireland in the same ways but they will 
asked some questions of Ireland that you know we now we now have something to to wonder about about what what Ireland will do in those scenarios. Yeah, as you said there, like the floor and ceiling of expectation for this Irish team, even from maybe this day last year or this week last year, we're leading into the England game, serious questions being asked about the direction and about the coaching ticket in particular. So even in that year, things have changed. It's interesting you mentioned the panic because I was going to ask you that. There was a sense watching it at least that, geez, this is way too close for comfort and England at least have the emotional pitch of the game in a way that Ireland don't. The closing 10 minutes where Ireland put it away, was that more a reflection on England fading or did Ireland, are we giving Ireland credit for sticking to their principles and getting the job done? They certainly did fade, but you've got to look at, at little moments that rested that momentum back. Ty Byrne turning over a line out, Andrew Conway's 50-22 kick, Andrew Conway's kick that landed in the in-goal area and the, the pressure from the defensive line meant that they had to go for 50-22 when Ireland scored from that 50-22. Um, Ireland suddenly put together phases and didn't force the offloads in, in the build-up to Jack Conan's try. It was the only time they got above 10 phases in the entire game. So while, and that helped England to get tired, but England were definitely tired. I mean, they took off Dombrandt, who'd only come on for Tom Curry um, early in the game. They could see, obviously their GPS scores were, were starting to, you know, the red lights were flashing all over the coach's box, but they could only take a couple of them off. Mm. That's a factor, you know, but that's partly because Ireland kept the ball so well across the game, even when things weren't going as well. Ireland tired them out. And so there's both, you know, England were tired, but that's partly partly because they're 14 men, partly because of the way Ireland play. And Ireland finished very, very strong and their bench came on and did their job. So that's to be applauded as well. You know, Conor Murray played very well. Robbie Henshaw had a really big impact. Very unlucky not to start this Saturday. Conan was really good. Rob Herring just started you know, carrying like I'd never seen Rob Herring carry before. Finley Beanham gets his try. So that was impressive as well. They kind of they avoided dropping the ball, so they didn't have as many scrums, mm. which which was a big help as well. So no, it's a bit of both. I think England were tiring definitely, and that is a factor of the fourteen men. But Ireland, you know, you can't take that away from them. They they finished stronger, and that's you know that didn't you know Paris was a little bit different to that. They kind of we wondered after that whether the bench could could contribute as much they did last weekend, and, and I think that's something that they can build on. Yeah, and that psychological sway and the way they dealt with it possibly shows how mature they've become in that way because it would have been very easy to reverse course and it also almost reminded me of the Irish soccer team and trying to play this more possession-based game and you can almost sense the tension when the ball goes back to the goalkeeper kind of thing and like Ireland, the reason the ball's on the ground more is because they're trying to keep possession more and play a little bit more expansively. So just before we get to the, the team news, Rory, which you mentioned, this is the last episode of this show so we should probably take some stock of the tournament at large and something that mentioned to Brian O'Driscoll during the week was that the value of the Six Nations as it stands currently, like I don't know to what extent you buy into the devalued notion, but you've got Eddie Jones who rightly or wrongly one of the preeminent voices, possibly the preeminent voice in the game at the moment, devaluing it actively I would say, like you're looking at back to back fifth place finishes for England possibly and him saying it's all about the World Cup, it's all about the World Cup which is fair enough because some people are myopic in that way. Italy, the whole, how they've fallen off and the South African dynamic, which was discussed at the midway point. Like with all that in the mix, the Six Nations in its own in isolation is still a very valuable tournament to win and should be looked at as such. Is that where you stand on it? Yeah, I would be quite obsessed with the World Cup and I make no apology for it. I think having been at the last two World Cups and staying beyond Ireland, I'd stayed for the semi-final and the final and having felt how irrelevant you feel being Ireland, mm. once that once the, the traditional quarterfinal exit goes, I'm pretty like I think Ireland's obsession should be getting past the quarterfinal of the World Cup. But I don't see why that will come at the expense of your Six Nations performances. This is a, a tournament 
definitely worth winning in its own right. Look at the crowds. Look at the way, like it's it, it's box office. You know the the viewing numbers. You know this is the time where people are listening to us on the radio. This is people the time where people are reading what we write. This is the time where rugby has the attention of the nation, and that's across all six nations. It's on free to air TV. I don't understand how the RFU can allow Eddie Jones to to diminish um, this tournament because it's the it's the bread and butter. Um, it's the it's the income stream for the the unions. This is where the money comes from. the The prize money is pretty good. the 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 the, the gate receipts for Twickenham are very important, and for them to go out and lose to Ireland uh, and you know at home, it should be unacceptable to them in in, in a tournament that while you are always looking towards twenty twenty three, it's always there. But that doesn't mean you don't focus on the here and now as well. You, like there, it's possible to do both. And yes, I would be kind of worried about certain Irish players' age profile, that they're they're fine now, but will they be fine in 18 months? And I would like to see, say, I mean, you know, Carberry's had two games in this tournament, so I'm less concerned about that now. You know, there are things you want to be building towards. I completely understand why a coach would, would pick their best team in the here and now and would want to win, but they should always be have the long term. I think Ireland have a, a reasonable balance on it. There's a couple of positions where I'm a bit mm-hmm. concerned, but you're right, you know, the, the tournament is in an interesting place because CBC have bought into it. The, the private money has now come into it. South Africa are hovering there. I think they will event, inevitably come in at some stage because that's where the, there's a lot of money to be made from that. I think they won't do it at the expense of the Italians. I think they'll be. it might be an expanded tournament. It's in an interesting place, but it remains a very important piece of rugby real estate. I don't think it will be diminished. Eddie Jones will be gone in two years and another English, and another England coach will come in and will probably respect the tournament more. He built his first World Cup cycle on, on a Grand Slam and a tournament win and, and he seemed to care an awful lot more about it then. I think this might back, bite him in the ass in the end. You know, this is It's a dangerous game to be playing and he's, he's undermining the confidence of, in his own team as well as, as he goes through these tournaments. Like, he, he, can, he can say that this doesn't matter as much but you know, if it is back-to-back fifth-place finishes for the best resource team in the, in the, in the entire tournament, that's, it's terrible. And what degree is he reverse engineering this narrative? Like, if England were first in the Six Nations, he obviously wouldn't be speaking in this manner. But do you think he was ready to take short-term pain for long-term gain, or is that just the way it's played out? It looks a bit muddled to me. You know, I, I you know, he's he he he's spoken he, like he speaks in such clear terms. You know, he, he said they got to this time last year, thought they had had discovered something, and then Ireland, you know, beat them out the gate, and he decided he's going to jettison this. He's on basically his third iteration of his team. He, got rid of the Vunipolas, a couple of others who've ended up actually coming back. So he's starting again and building a team. I would imagine he came into the Six Nations hoping that this team will be ready to actually perform and now he's having to, it's coach speak, he's, he's, he's making, you know, he's trying to defend his players to say they're at the start of a journey and Ireland traditionally have a bit of a, a habit of messing up World Cup cycles. They peaked in 2018 when actually 2019 was the time to do it. Mm. England got their timing right. Like they, they really produced in that 2019 uh, Six Nations, particularly in that win over Ireland, and that was the launch pad. So maybe he's targeting the 2023 Six Nations. But uh, you know, they, I, I wasn't aware of this phrase, but the, the jam tomorrow that I keep hearing on BBC podcasts, mm. that they're all talking about it over there. That can our English rugby fans and are the RFU content to let Eddie Jones who's gone after 2023 anyway so if the crash out of the pool stages he's going to walk away regardless um, can they really afford to, to, to play a long game when, when the game in front of you is always the most important one like there's a balance it has to be a balance and, and you know losing to Scotland and Ireland potentially losing to France is, is really poor like that if that was here I think you know Andy Farrell would be under pressure and Eddie Jones is so powerful in English rugby it's quite hard to understand and you spoke about staging posts there and possibly the real estate of what a trophy represents. A secondary trophy, obviously, is the Triple Crown. Ireland's still in the mix for the for the whole 
championship, obviously, but for Triple Crown point of view, it's not a lifetime ago that we were producing documentaries on winning Triple Crowns at home. So for this almost new luck team, there's obviously some old faces, but like winning is a habit and to be picking up any kind of silverware should bode well. So would you be putting much stock on, on getting that job done this weekend? Yeah, we almost got to... Uh too good for triple crowns mm. uh, during the two thousands. Like two thousand four was like I was in college. Uh, you know, I, I was at the game against Scotland as as a fan. It was a it was a halcyon moment. Like cause it was the first. It was, it's all context, isn't it? I mean, Ireland hadn't won anything at triple crowns since nineteen eighty five. You know, for many of us, it was the first big moment. You know that we could remember in our lifetimes of Ireland winning things. And then obviously they did it again in oh six oh seven, and then won the Grand Slam in in oh nine. And suddenly it was about championships and Grand Slams. And you know that's natural. I think for this team it would be a big step, and I think it will be. It would be churlish not to acknowledge it. I, I, you know, I mean, there's not that many trophies available in sport, and you know, if you get a chance to win one, you, you know, you should celebrate it. You know, it's like I think, like in football, say the League Cup. If you win the League Cup, you should you should celebrate it because there's only three or yeah. three trophies available to win every year. And you know, um, you know, Ireland. I think if they win the triple crown, they should enjoy it. Um, they might even win the title if they don't. They they know that France are the better team than them on the day, and and they 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 missed their shot, but. Beating, um, especially in in this era, beating Wales, Scotland, and England in one season is an achievement. And you know the the tournament was once four nations. The triple crown predates the championship. It's 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 a relic from rugby's traditions, but it's still there and it's still to be valued. And I think that you know it's an achievement in itself and 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 should rightly be celebrated. You know I was reared on the tor- stories of eighty two and eighty five, and then two thousand four happened. Sure. Things have gotten our standards have gone up since, but still, I think it's 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 worth you know it will be worthy of celebration. Yeah, break out last two years. I think we deserve to celebrate. I don't think we can get so that's for sure. Break out those players, especially who've played in empty stadiums for two years. I think if they can win a trophy at home and, and there's a full house in the Aviva, I wouldn't begrudge them that that moment. Some people would call it minimalism or something like that, you know. But I think it's I think it's worthy of celebration. Yeah, and speaking of the team that will be taking the field this weekend, there had been some suggestion that he might go with roughly the same team. Obviously, James Ryan, notwithstanding, but Ian Henderson, Jack Conan, Mac Hansen, all in Henderson in for Ryan, who. Henderson obviously made that change early in the game at Twickenham. Hanson back on the right wing for Andrew Conway, potentially injury enforced. Yeah, he had a knee injury. Yeah. Um, and, and then and in terms of the back row, there's obviously been plenty of talk about balance there and it seems like World Cup cycles every time. It's This is the most stocked we've ever been at this position, but um, Jack Honan's back in, been good off the bench of late. I'd be interested to get your perspective on that in a moment, but in terms of the team at large, any surprises there? No, uh, well, the Hanson for Conway, they kept that one quiet, um, that injury. Um, Conway was very good last weekend. It would would have been no surprise if they'd kept him. Um, the two big selection calls, obviously Henderson was always going to come in for Ryan because Ryan uh, suffered his concussion last weekend and is likely to be out for a little while now because of his history in that area. So really the two big calls in the team, well, maybe it was three. There was the centre. He stuck with Aki ahead of Henshaw, who was very good off the bench but hasn't had a lot of rugby Um the front row, he's decided to go with them again. The word from the camp is that the ref got some decisions wrong, that it wasn't as bad as it looked, and that they they can fix it. and And they they would they've now trusted Keane Healy, Dan Sheehan, and Tyke Furlong to get it right this weekend against a good Scottish front row. And then in the back row it was whether O'Mahony would keep his place. I thought he was very quiet last weekend, mm. and I think Conan. To me, that 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 Leinster back row is better. It's it just works better, particularly the way Ireland play. And if O'Mahony doesn't have those big moments, games can pass him by. He was the top tackler but I, I didn't notice him an awful lot in the stadium. On my watch back, 
he wasn't that prominent either so I don't think he did enough to keep his place and he's very good off the bench as well so it's a bit of, you know it's a bit of fresh legs as well a week on from a fairly draining game team makes a lot of sense you know I I, I would like to see Gavin Coombs Robert Balakoon get some involvement over the Six Nations but with a title on the line potentially you can understand why Andy Farrell's gone for for a strong team he's going to have five games we think in New Zealand this summer to try and get more people in they're play, probably going to play the Maori twice you know that's that that's that long term conversation, but for the here and now, you know he has introduced new faces. You got Kieran Treadwell, who's winning his fifth cap off the bench, um, like that's that's a, you know another experience for him. But by and large, it was always going to be a strong team, you know his strongest team this weekend. So it does it does make an awful lot of sense. And injuries in the front row obviously colour things in terms of strength and depth. But to what extent is sticking with the the front row that struggled last week a reflection of maybe you know giving them that pat in the back and saying we back you to go again or more so that they just don't have the depth to, to change things up well they definitely have they had the option of like if you brought Dave Kilcoyne and Rob Herring into the team for Keane Healy and Dan Sheehan you might have lost something particularly with Sheehan in, in terms of you're playing the loose because Sheehan is, is an exceptional player in the loose but Herring is more of a, is more, um, of a strong set piece player and more experienced as well so there was there was a case to be made for bringing Herring in for more solidity but what Sheehan gives you in, in the loose is just so exciting and, 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 and breaks teams open and they, they just you know they have this playing identity that they're mm. sticking to, so they're maybe sacrifice. They could go with the scrummagers or the the, the set piece players, but they're going for the ball players and they're maybe sacrificing or taking a risk there. With Healy, you know, Kilcoyne and Healy quite close. I think at this stage, maybe they feel like yeah, you know, Kilcoyne gives you more impact off the bench, but it's it's that layer beneath. It's really they they don't with Porter out. I don't think they can go beyond what's in the squad at the moment. They brought Jeremy Lockman in. He's not Munster's starting loose head. Um, you look across the provinces. There's really they've they've cast this net around. They've had Ed Byrne in there. They've had Eric O'Sullivan in there. They played Finley Beelham against uh, Georgia on the loose head side of the scrum, but they need him on the on the tight head side. Porter's obviously moved across, and they've robbed Peter to play Paul to some degree there. Although he's a better loose head than he is, mm. but there's just that's where a bit of, there's a bit of concern. If you were missing Callagher and Porter, suddenly the cupboard looks quite bare. And we have great depth in other areas. You've mentioned the back row, the back three, the midfield. Really, really good depth. You wouldn't have much concern if you lost a few bodies there. But if you scratch the surface of that front row, I'd be quite worried. Um, and that's a big, you know, when we talk about the long term and, and World Cup cycles, that is a big worry because there might be guys coming through academies, but they're really more 2027 options. For this 2023 cycle, we kind of have what we have. And, uh, you know, I thought he needed to struggle with the pace of it last Saturday. And that was that was a big concern. The scrum wasn't going well. And he was behind the, behind the eight ball when it came to the open play as well. He's 34, has an awful lot of rugby under his belt. You know he's traditionally been very fit, but I'd be, I'd be a bit concerned about his longevity. So, like, hopefully he answers his critics and comes out and has a great game on, on Saturday. But that is something I think we all need to watch out for. Mm. And the back row, as we touched on there, perennially interesting. Like, like I don't want to be annoying the Six Nations loyalists, but I wonder if we got to a World Cup quarter final, what if this was the back row that would be playing? Because Caden Doris is possibly at a level where. He's such a good ball player, as you said, that you'd possibly lose something by playing him at six. So having him at eight in two years' time might be the the premier option. I don't know what you think about that. I think, well, the one thing about this back row is that a profile was, they're all going to be around in 2023. So you, you have, you know, you're not worried really about any of them falling off a cliff, you know, in terms of, of their age. So the way they're managing it at the moment maybe augurs for what they'll do at the World Cup so a man he comes in as a tactical call because England have a very strong line out with a really strong jumping six who's more of a second row so you go horses for courses Scotland have a six and a seven who are more 
ball players, groundhogs. So you bring Conan back in. You don't necessarily need what O'Mahony brings. You've got Coombs out outside the picture, but I think over the next eighteen months he will come into the picture more. You've Timoney, who's a really good player as well. I I I, I like Doris at six and eight. To be honest, I you may lose some of what Doris has to offer at six but you also gain what Jack Conan has to offer and he's such a smart footballer listening to Alex Corbusiero who's on the left wing podcast on Independent that I earlier in the week he was talking about how Jack Conan is the better scrummager which is something we don't often think about the way a number 8 locks a scrum yeah. together particularly when Ireland's second rows are lighter than most other international teams Conan was actually heavily criticised after the Leinster Saracens game in 2020 he's obviously learned from that experience he's gone on a Lions tour so that's interesting that you know he has that string that we maybe don't appreciate when it comes to a number 8 Doris has loads of time to pick that up and to learn from his Leinster teammate. This is the back row Leinster pick. Um, I don't think O'Mahony's doing enough to break it up, but there are cases to be made in certain games where he is he is a very good option. Say you're playing South Africa in a pool game, you know they have Peter Steph to Trois at six. Well, maybe you have to put O'Mahony there because you know you need to go after your lineup. Maybe you move Ty Burn back. I still think that's a massive option for Ireland. But I really like in terms of the way Ireland play, in terms of having ball carrying options across. You're, you know, you're, you're in every department of your forwards, passers, players who can who can hang out wide, who can do the kind of the, you know, who can who can open defenses up. I think Conan, flanked by Van der Fleer and and Doris, is really really impressive. It's one of the best back rows in the world, and that's why I think he's gone for it. And I I I, I think that's the way to go. I think that this suits Ireland. The way they play, this back row suits them. Sure, you bring in Amani at certain points, but like Amani's very experienced, comes off the bench and does something pretty impressive as well at times. And Van der Fleer, possibly my own fault, is the odd one out in the three there that I named because he's not that he's never been eye-catching, but, you know, top tackler for the team this year. And also his ball playing, I don't know if it's come on leaps and bounds, but it's more oh, prominent, I would say, in the last few months and possibly year than it had been previously. I haven't checked the stats since the England game, but before the England game, he was he was actually the first, the most first arrivals of any Ireland player at rook time. So he's taken on a role that's normally held by second rows so they've obviously identified something in his game that he can like his work rate is unbelievable so he's like his tackle count's huge his carrying's really good but he's also getting to the ball first and Ireland have the quickest ball in this tournament um, their rook success is really good so that's a, another layer to his game that probably goes under the radar because we don't necessarily notice those, those rook involvements I was amazed when he got a new Leinster contract and wasn't handed a central contract recently I mean he's become a, a pivotal figure for Ireland over the last year or two you know I was one of these people who was waiting for Dan Levy to come back. I love Levy. I think Levy is just, you know, it's such a loss to Irish rugby. The fact that he was a generational number seven and was so dominant in 18 and has been so destroyed by injuries. It's such a sad story that he hasn't been able to kick on. And I probably underappreciated what Van der Fleer had to offer as I will Levy back to fitness. And I think in 19, he possibly was a bit underpowered. But right now, he's he's top of his game. And he is... Uh, He's a very likable guy, Josh van der Fleer. He's very much a team man. He's he's uh, he's so industrious, and he puts him, puts him, puts the team before himself all the time. I think Farrell and all the coaches love him. He's very unlucky not to be in line last year. I mean, he, he just again, I think he falls between the cracks when it comes to standout performances. But he's such an important player for Ireland, and you know, it's not a conversation. That, you know, that's why we don't talk about him because it's just he's there. He's number seven. He, he starts for Ireland when he's fit at the moment, and there's no one. Timoney's playing well, but. There's no, there's no debate really that Josh van der Fleer doesn't start for Ireland at the moment. And last word just on the scrum because it was possibly the, the top talking point off the back of it and I don't know like to what extent we can frame what was in the referee's mind but human nature would suggest that after swaying the game in one way massively in the first minute even though it was a clear cut red card that you know second nature might be to try and even it up where possible and 
Nigel Owens made the point that it was there was more parity in the scrum than there might normally have been. Like we've talked about the front row, but the scrummaging has been something that was on Joe Schmidt's mind going into the the World Cup in 2019. That the selections he made, leaving Damon Toner out, for example, to that end. Like this isn't as fixable as like bad handling errors were at the last weekend and discipline where Sexton going in front of the kicker, all this kind of stuff. Scrum scrummaging is not something we can just fix ahead of this game, and possibly not something we can fix going into the World Cup either. Yeah, and you wouldn't be overly concerned. Like Scotland have a good front row, a good scrum. Scoman in particular is a very, very good operator. They've got WP Nell coming off the bench. So they have good operators who will have watched last week and will be licking their lips to get stuck into Ireland. You know, there's been a succession of experts coming into the studio all week to talk about it. And, and, you know, I wouldn't profess to be, I played a bit of front row at a very low level, but, you know, I wouldn't profess to understand the, the exact me- me- mechanics of it. This is something that you would be worried about when it comes to a game against England, France or South Africa down the road. South Africa coming in November, maybe even New Zealand, probably not to the same extent, but those destructive scrums, think back to the World Cup final, think back to the, the Lions series when South Africa got, got on top of, of, of uh, the Lions, think back to Saracens-Leinster in 2020 when, when Saracens were able to you know, kick to the corner, win them all, kick to the corner. You know, get you know, earn a scrum. They were just completely dominant in those, you know, in those exchanges. La, La Rochelle, Leinster. There's just a bit of a trend there that comes up every so often when we come up against a certain profile of team. And I do. It's an, it will be an underlying concern for Ireland going to this World Cup, where they play South Africa in the in the pool, and they probably will play you know France or New Zealand in the quarter final. They will have to play gone teams with this level of power along the way. And they need to learn. They need to learn an awful lot from last Saturday. Yes, the referee may have got some decisions wrong, but he rewarded dominance. He's a French official. He's widely regarded as one of the best scrummaging referees in the world. And for all that Ireland are upset about his performance, I think there was a lot of there was a lot of legitimacy to 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 the way England got on top, you know. And and there were technical things that Ireland were doing wrong. And what I what I fear for is that they weren't able to figure it out themselves. That they were looking to the ref for for, for to solve their problems. When as Keith Wood said. They got, oh no, Keatwood, sorry, it was Mike Ross was saying we need to cheat more. They need to figure that stuff out. It's thinking on the go. You cannot rely on the referee to sort out your problems. And for all that you can send a, a missive into World Rugby on the Monday, if that's a World Cup quarterfinal, it's too late. If that's after this Saturday and you've lost out in your Triple Crown and your Championship, it's it's too late to figure those things out. So they got to figure that stuff out in themselves. It's great that the warning came in a record win. <laughs> you know, like that's 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 the good thing. Mm. Um, and they have really good, they've good personnel in there. You know, John Fogarty's widely, you know, very highly regarded. They have good players, very experienced players, and they've got to learn from it. And that's what I'm looking forward to seeing on Saturday is how they handle that battle. Wayne Barnes will referee it differently to Matthew Raynell. Um, you know, there is a style thing. And if you're playing France in the quarterfinal, the one good thing is you want to have a French ref. But the 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 French will target it. You know, they have the the. the that's where look at the top fourteen every week. The scrum is the main battleground. That is uh, that is something Ireland need to be right on top of. And and their their attacking game is so good. It would be such a shame to have it undermined by a, a malfunctioning set piece at the highest you know at the highest level. Um, bit of time to fix it now, but it's going to be from within this group of players. It's not. There's no apart from Andrew Porter and Ronan Keller are coming back. Obviously, there's no knights in shining armor mm. who are coming in. You know, you can't go and sign a project player. Um, unless there's some Irish qualified guy that we haven't heard of in South Africa that they've, they've got an eye on it's it's going to come from within this player group um, so it's going to be a technical fix and they've got to figure out that, that on, the, on their own Yeah, You're listening to the Six Nations show here on Off The Ball Rugby here is with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us one last point on Ireland broadly before we move on to the Scotland side of things the um, 
the whole term finishers, I can't remember which English club pioneered this, but it was kind of lampooned a little bit that finishing with your stronger team. But it's certainly true. And of this Ireland team, I thought it was kind of evidenced by Conor Murray's game intelligence off the bench. And it's not a role he would have been comfortable with, certainly Lions captain not so long ago, however briefly. Um, but like seemed to relish it a little bit when he came on off the bench and steered Ireland very impressively I thought and there was probably previous generations where you'd like to see a, game, a Gibson Park type player come on to speed things up mm. but it was actually important that Murray came and slowed things down knew Ireland need to go through more phases possibly to break England open and that's what they did and Murray did it and possibly Omani as you're alluding to might be more comfortable in that position so we've actually built depth in that department that we possibly didn't have before yeah, it, it's all context, isn't it? I mean, if you come on at 15 all, the job is different to, than if you come on at 10 points down. And, and I would worry about O'Mahony and Murray coming in if you're chasing a game mm. from that far back. But, like, um, it's hard to do anyway. You know, it's it's it's, it's not easy. But, like, you look at Craig Casey and you think he's probably able to do what Gibson Park does. You know, he's got a closer... He matches up to Gibson Park better. But if you want to change the way you're playing, if you want to hold out... Like, if you're 15 points up and you want to manage the last 15 minutes of a game... Murray and O'Mahony in particular are, are kind of perfect for that. They've got such experience. Ireland's bench is really good in Twickenham. Um, as we said earlier, they, 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 you know, England were flagging, but Murray, I thought, did bring a calm assurance and, and a reminder of what a quality player he can be. His standards probably have dropped in the last two, three years. Um, and that's, you know, Andy Farrell has spotted that and he's taken him out of the team and that's got to hurt. I mean, like all these lads have a certain amount of pride, a certain amount of ego. And if you've been Ireland starting at uh, number nine since 2011, and you're suddenly on the bench, that's got to hurt. And maybe it takes a while to adapt to that role. But the best way to get back into the team is to perform. And, and he did that last weekend. He, I think he still, like, I thought he kept the tempo quite high. One or two passes still dropped off. I, there's still, I, he still needs to adapt more to the way Ireland are playing to get to challenge Gibson Park for that number nine jersey again. It was going to take a bit of reinvention for him to do that. But if he, if Andy Farrell, like the, the players seem to love playing in the this, this setup, and they seem to be able to accept being dropped out of, out of the, the starting team, they seem to be able to come in and and park their egos and perform off the bench. So maybe this is his role for the rest of the of the cycle, and he he will get a couple of starts here and there. But Gibson Park's the starter, and um, I can't imagine he'd be content with that. I think, but that's I got you know it was too cosy before. You know, under yeah. Joe Schmidt, everyone was guaranteed a place. Now players are, are finding themselves out of the team, and they have to perform to get back in, and that's a much more healthy place. That's far um, great you know the competition is it has to mean something and if you're playing if you're if Gibson Park's training better then he's got to get in so it's interesting to see how Murray develops it's a real um, you know it's it's a humbling experience for him And but he, the way he reacted in Twickenham was pretty encouraging Someone who might not react as well is Finn Russell Rory and uh, Blair Kinghorn has come in at, out half and we spoke before the show just off air that possibly he had been pegged as more of a utility back or like full back even but you know, more and more trusted in the number 10 shirt and Gregor Townsend giving him his head in a game which is not meaningless for Scotland but if they're going to try something out in this tournament they have to do it now. That's what you would look at on the surface but we know Townsend and Russell have a bit of previous. Would you be reading much into the latter point or is this more a case that Finn Russell's not playing very well at the moment? Uh, that's probably it. Uh, you know, I, they seem to have parked their previous dif- dif- difficulties. Maybe that, that's eroded some of uh, Townsend's faith in, in Finn Russell but it's more, you know, it's that tracking back in the in the France game that was so widely publicised in in the build up to the try. Um, he was quite good against England. Like he was very important to the way they beat England. Those double cross kicks and the tactical stuff. But he, you know, that was deep in the game. You know, he can still come on and affect this game. But Kinghorn's an interesting one. I mean, a lot of stock has been put in a performance he gave for Edinburgh against Connacht a couple of weeks ago. And you know, he he was very good that day. But that was a URC game in, in, during an international window. This is a massive step up and. 
Um, it's hard to believe that a player who's played so much in the back three during his professional career, having been at ten at you know at underage level, can pivot so quickly with such. I mean, he's played a bit there this year, but you know whether whether he's able to come in and control an international game at the Aviva Stadium against Ireland, um, that's a big ask. Maybe I'm completely underestimating him. They say he's very you know he's very quick. Um, he's he's a, he's a very skillful player, but you know he's up against Johnny Sexton, who's winning his 105th cap. All of which were a ten, you know, very de- clearly defined number ten. Um, it's probably a, a, a flaw in the Scottish system where they only have two professional teams. Like if you think about games against Ireland the last couple of years, Adam Hastings has been ten, Jakob van der Velde has been ten. Hastings is in there, but he's not getting selected. You know, he seems to be. You know, I don't know is he paying the price for leaving the Scottish system? There's a bit of politics there, maybe, but yeah, I like they have a good team. They've like he's up, he's alongside Ali Price behind a good pack, and he's a very good player. It's just it's an unknown, really. You know, I know he has played a bit of international rugby there, but not much. And you know, it's a it's a bit of a sink or swim. And you know, Scotland are a bit scratching around at this stage. You know, when when Ireland have a quite clearly defined plan, that you know, eighteen months out from the World Cup, Scotland seem to be coming off their peak and you know last year and, and searching for answers when you really should be finding solutions. And from a Townsend point of view, like he's in in an interesting point where they are quite close to Six Nations or to a World Cup which you know, this cycle has obviously flown by for a whole host of reasons, but like it's a bit of a gamble, I would say, to move so drastically in this direction with someone who's not exactly tried and trusted. And I just wonder, is there any sense that he might not make it to the France World Cup next year? There's not really. I like. I don't, you know, picking up bits of Scottish media and stuff, I don't get that sense that he's under any particular pressure. I think he was under pressure after the 2019 World Cup and under Sandby, so I mean, they had a terrible tournament. And he's changed an awful lot since then. It seemed like those changes, they, like they backed him, um, and having been backed, he 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 produced two reasonably good seasons, um, some very good results. You know, going away from home behind closed doors seemed to suit them. They got big wins in Twickenham. They won in Paris. They've won in Wales. I think it was in Parky Scarlets rather than Cardiff. Um, so they've had big one-off wins, and they beat England again this year. And like you know, I remember the talk after that was you know they were going to win the Grand Slam and. Mm. Again, it's kind of fallen off the tracks. They're they're a little bit like Ireland of maybe fifteen years ago, yeah. where they could you know pick up a big win and, and then not back it up. But their defence under Steve Tandy, who you know got the Lions gig on the back of of his work last year, is nowhere near what it was um, last season, the year before. Maybe teams have figured it out. Maybe the players have grown tired of the voice. I don't know, but there's definitely not the same level of intensity, the same level of line speed that was there before. He's searching around for an out half. I think he's safe. But you would be less worried about Ireland meeting Scotland in a pool game next year, which could be the you know the defining game of that tournament for Ireland. If you think South Africa are probably going to beat both teams, you're less worried about playing Scotland in 2023 now than you would have been 12 months ago when they seem to be a much stronger outfit. Plenty of time to get it right. Um, I think he'll be allowed. I think it's hard to see any coach losing their job between now and 2023 at this stage. I mean, Eddie Jones probably should, but he, <laughs> he's not going to. Um, but certainly they're trending downwards at the moment and, and kind of scratching around looking for answers. If you look at the team, it's very settled. It's a settled enough team. Darge has come into the picture this year. They're playing Kinghorn. But everyone else there, there's no unfamiliar faces. It's not like he's reinventing the wheel there and it's just form has fallen off a cliff a bit, which is, must be a massive worry for Scottish rugby fans. Yeah, that parallel struck me as well to a bygone era of Irish rugby where, you know, the build-up to a certain game, you can feel the levels in the nation almost rise and they're going to get to the pitch of it and Ireland can still produce those performances against the likes of England even when they're not playing well but it's the other games where winning almost becomes a habit for a team and Scotland should be contemporaries of Ireland really in terms of resources if all things were equal but they haven't got to that level yet and yet given the the circumstances and the fact that they've been written off in, in many quarters this could potentially be 
type of game where they raised their levels. And Johnny Sexton and Keane Healy were making the point, Healy in particular, about the time Dan Parks kicked that uh, goal at Crow Park and Sexton saying that if Ireland produced a performance like they did against England, it might not be enough against Scotland. So this could be a banana skin for Ireland. Oh, like I mean, you look at the fifteen names on the, on the Scottish team sheet. They're very, very good. They're good players. They're they they have, as I say, in the last two years, they've gone to Paris, London, and Clenatly and won away from home against um, France, England, and Wales, which traditionally they weren't able to do. Now they were behind closed doors, but you know, I think you write the Scottish team off at your peril. I think like, like they're not a walkover by any means. At the same time, they must be low on confidence after the window that they've had. You know that. That to start so strongly against England and then get hockey by France and beaten by a Wales team that was still like it was an emotional performance in Cardiff but they didn't play particularly well Wales that day and, and Scotland a better team than Scotland would have picked them off but with the pressure off they're quite dangerous I think you know this is when expectations are low like they don't play well when expectations are high they they're, they're one of, they are like the classic you know Irish underdog story of 15-20 of years ago and I you know, there's definitely if Ireland get ahead of themselves, which I get the sense they don't. Like, for all that we were critical of Ireland after last weekend, the immediate post-match reaction was pretty self-aware. Um, I was in Kobe for the Ireland uh, Russia game in Japan during the World Cup, where they all told us they played really well, and I was like, we were all thought they were deluded. You know, there was there was real worry that they and and if they believed that they were in trouble, and they were in trouble. Whereas this time around, they played badly against England. They won by record score. They didn't allow the record score to, to paper over the cracks. They were all very honest about where they were and I think that's encouraging because they've been in there all week trying to right wrongs they're not believing you know they're not drinking the Kool-Aid as Eddie O'Sullivan would say so if they can put that all together into a performance if they play to their strengths they'll beat the Scottish team if they're off if they're starting to think about like I think that that, that that 2010 game, it was the last game at Crow Park. They were going to win a Triple Crown and they'd all brought the, their inter-county GA jerseys to wear as kind of a sign-off from Crow Park. Um, they they brought in Mumford and Sons the night before for a concert, I think. I was reading something uh, about Healy saying that perhaps, perhaps the preparation the night before wasn't uh, was at the, its I, utmost. I don't think they've brought in uh, an international <laughs> band since. Uh, um, but yeah, like that, it sounds like they just got it wrong that week and you can be sure that even having Healy Sexton, uh, Paul O'Connell in the in the setup will warn against guard against that. But yeah, if they're off it, Scotland can beat them, and Scotland could just come out and just shackles off, play really really well, and target the Irish scrum. And you know, because they heard the ref was bad last week, they think they're okay and they're not. I don't see it personally, but it's not beyond the realms by any means, and and that's what makes it interesting. I mean, Ireland have to go; they're expected to win. They have to go and win, and this is what at the moment separates Ireland from Scotland is that they win the games they're expected to win the one game they've lost this season is the one they weren't so um, yeah I like it. it's a fascinating matchup Ireland should be better than them they should be stronger they've generally had the edge in this fixture for the last 12 years since that game apart from that, the time the bus was late in Murrayfield so yeah I think they're going to win it but I, I think you're right I wouldn't write off a Scottish victory just yet the main thing from that, you have me hankering for a return to Kobe. I was there as a fan and the, the game was way down the highlights list of it. Uh, that's an unbelievable I city. I just want to go back to Japan. Oh, oh, what an amazing place. Unreal. We should uh, touch on the other games before we wrap up here, yeah. Rory. And France against England will be keeping a keen eye, hopefully, on, on how that plays out. And, you know, much is made of the the emotional aptitude of that England team and, you know, the celebrating like the Waterford hurlers after every little victory on the pitch. Like... They might be able to match France physically in those departments as well, and it could be an arm wrestle in certain quarters. But the de- the the depth of um, of difference in terms of flair and ability at the moment between these two teams is so vast that on a dry day like it's forecasted to be, like France should win this comfortably. No. Well, I think France have been 
have have felt the weight of pressure of of a first Grand Slam since 2010, and you could see it out in Cardiff last weekend. Even against Ireland, they like probably should have won that game more comfortably, um, and they have slipped up. This team haven't haven't put it to bed. You know, they lost to Scotland in the last game last year when they could have won the championship. Um, so there is a chance, you know, and, and England, for all of their flaws and the fact that their attack seems completely muddled, um, there was a sense coming into last week's game that they were a little bit like Ireland were this time last year and Ireland clicked in the final game of the tournament. They've changed it up a little bit. They brought Furbank back in at 15. They've moved Stewart onto the wing. Um, I don't know, is that moving the deck chairs? Uh, like, they can match France physically up front. They're the only team in the tournament who really can match the, the horses that France have. They've got the, the power and the size to be able to do so. Um, and they have a very good set piece. So they can domi- if they can get dominance in that area and if they can disrupt at the breakdown and put DuPont under pressure, then like of course they can go and win this game. But you just struggle to see where the tries are going to come from. They've only scored... I can't. They've scored a very small amount compared to what they you would expect from them in this tournament. They've relied on Marcus Smith's boot and throughout and if they're relying on Marcus Smith in Paris I think they're going to be to kick their, you know, just kicking his goals in Paris they're going to be in trouble but if France are if Ireland win and put the pressure on and France come into this game knowing that they need to win to, to, to secure it and, and things you know England get on top early and the, the crowd turns a little bit you know that's going to make life interesting for them but teams traditionally I know there have been kind of upsets you know Ireland have stopped England winning Grand Slam a couple of times and stuff but teams Often explode when this, this opportunity arrives. That they they kind of they got they've got to the finish line. Now it's time to get over it. And I I can see this French team. There's a sense of destiny about them. And with the World Cup coming next year, at home, nine o'clock local time kickoff. There's going to be huge backing for them. And they are a better team than England. You know, really they are. But England have again like Scotland. England have the. There's no pressure really on England. I know they're probably self-imposed pressure based on you know they don't want to finish fifth again. But you know, it's not like they have anything on the line. Mm. You know. Um, they could do it, but it's it's just hard to see. And like last week, must have taken a lot out of them as well. Yeah, and talking about the the value of the Six Nations, having France vibrant again has certainly redoubled appreciation of how important they are as a cog of Absolutely. the of the whole thing. And talking again about World Cup cycles, like they've been putting their eggs in this twenty twenty three basket for a long time. So yeah. it does feel like this is actually staging post of a triple crown for Ireland. But winning this Grand Slam for France would be massive as a marker for winning oh, yeah. the World Cup. Yeah, it was the same point that Ireland won in, in, in the last World Cup cycle and it didn't work out too well oh, for true. us. But, but I mean, the way Galtier has, has basically just scrapped the team and built it from scratch in 2020, it, like, they're just on this upward curve and they're, like a Grand Slam is just, it seems like the perfect trajectory. You know, that wasn't, that Ireland team was pretty much at the end of its, of the road in 2018, you know, on reflection. Whereas Galtier's team, like age profile wise, if they win a Grand Slam, it's just another notch in their belt as they go towards that World Cup and they're looking pretty like they look like the best team in the world right now um, South Africans would, would, would disagree but um, you know the, this is this would cement that sense that they're on the right track and look they've got such quality they're great to watch they've got every they've got every kind of string to a rugby team's bow that you would want you know they have a powerful pack they have an incredible number 9 they have a very good number 10 they've got brilliant centres exciting back 3 players a murderous back row like they're just brilliant and they have a bench that comes on and affects games they're ticking every box so it's just winning that winning that title putting it all together and you wouldn't begrudge it to them they've played brilliant rugby and they earned they've earned what they've gotten so I'd li- part of me would like to, obviously as an Irish person you want to see Ireland win it but like part of me wants to see this you know you're right this tournament you know it's a bit scary when they get mm. they get good but this tournament kind of needs England and France to be really strong and it's uh, it's good to see 
And finally, the fact that I've left it last for like a cursory final question on Wales kind of sums up that their defence of the Six Nations hasn't been overly stellar. Yeah, and they've gone back to Alan Wynne Jones this weekend for his, I think it's his 150th cap, which is an incredible achievement, but it just speaks volumes as to where they are at the moment. That they Now, it looks like he's coming back with the view to 2023 himself, that this is the kind of staging post for his last hurrah for Wales, but it hasn't gone well. I mean, Dublin was a disaster. They've probably weathered a storm since. You know, they were quite good against France last weekend. Um, you know, they won't be happy with the results, but they've kind of, from the crisis point that they started with, they've 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 kind of grown into the tournament to a degree um, they'll hammer Italy finish off on relative high um, whether they're going to be a force next year you know like with the regions in trouble and everything you know that, that that's a conversation for another day but like the sad part is or the kind of disappointing part is is that just you can't it's not a contest it's it's a complete afterthought um, and most people I think will you know if you're going to spend you know you've got a choice of spending four hours in front of a TV watching rugby or six hours in front of a TV watching rugby you might keep an eye on Wales Italy but you're not going to be compelled to watch it and that's one area where the Six Nations certainly has to you know focus in on because the rest of the tournament is so good these Italian games are serving no purpose and I'm not saying throw them out but we've got to see them get better because it's it's a bit like you know they, they add very little to the tournament at the moment apart from a nice trip That's it and uh, that's another Six Nations show in the books Cheers Rory Thanks Ron and a reminder, Rugby and Off the Ball is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. The Six Nations Show on OTB Sports Radio. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. It's spinning! It's spinning! Can you come on and talk about Ireland's attack shape? It's really exciting. Go on, Ireland! I've never seen a team like Ireland before. We all still think this day that it's the right call and we're the ones out on the pitch OTB Sports Radio